There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Welcome to No Mere Mortals Cover to Cover series. The Cover to Cover series is a chronological journey through the moments in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation centered on the main character of Jesus Christ. In 2020, the Lord directed the start of the Cover to Cover series that originally began as weekly installments for Sunday morning youth teachings at a local church. In 2023, the Cover to Cover series will move to being a podcast series and Lord willing will continue to be weekly installments. Genesis 1, chapter, uh, chapter 1, verse 26, and it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image. According to our likeness, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, See, I have given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of all the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed. To you it shall be for food. Also to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth, in which there is life. I have given every green herb for food, and it was so. Then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth and all the hosts of them were finished, and on the seventh day God ended his work which he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work which God had created and made. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this morning. And Father, I just pray right now that as we open up your word, that we would hear your voice. God, that you indeed would just fill this room in our hearts with your spirit. But God, that you are not a forceful God, a gentleman who stands at the doors and knocks. So God, I just pray that we would now allow ourselves to be distracted by anything in this moment. But God, we would have our hearts and our minds open to you to receive your spirit, to experience you, to know you and be more like you. In your son's name, amen. You guys may have a seat. So as we've been making our way through the book of Genesis, last week we came through and saw that the Bible says God in five literal days created by speaking into existence our expressed universe, literally consistent with literary devices and even science itself. And as illustrated by the sun, the moon, and the stars, to understand that he did so with an intentional purpose for you to know, gnosko know, to, to experience God. God who is light and there is no darkness in him, who began the work of the universe by separating light from dark. And for those who choose to love their darkness, carry the weight of guilt, shame, and unfortunately, everlasting punishment. But know that in John chapter 3, verse 17, God said, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And as we 
continued on here in, in Genesis chapter 126. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, who created them. Now again, as we talked about from the very first chapter, from the very first verse, we come across, in the beginning, God. And guys, again, and I, it, it goes without saying, but actually it goes with saying, because I'm going to say it, that the most read verse probably, the most read sentence probably in all human history, is in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And if, if you can settle that, if you can get that right, you'll begin to see how everything else in life and in God's word will find its right place. But then we come to this moment where, where as God's creating and he's, he's creating man, we, we hear something interesting happen. Is that you, you hear this phrase, this, let us make man in our image. And you, you see this plurality going on here. And so there could be some question of, okay, well, who's God talking to? There is only one God, and yet God says, let us make man in our image. Some have, I will say it, I don't mean to be in any way insulting, foolishly said that God's talking to the animals. Some say that he's actually talking uh, in regards to this divine council of the heavenly hosts, these, these spiritual beings called the angels and, and those who he has made. But yet what we see is that it said there in verse 27, and, and yes, in some of your Bibles you might see that the word own is italicized, and really what that should show is that what the, the translators were trying to do is put the emphasis on the fact that in verse 27, it says that God made man in his own image. This was not God making man like he made animals. This isn't God making man like angels. No, it says according to his own image. And going all the way back to the very first verse that we read is that it said in the beginning, God, Elohim. And we talked about that, even that being a, a plural. And yet, just as we read in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, a prayer that Jewish people would have said every morning, and probably even still to this day, the Shema, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Hear, O Israel, Yahweh, our Elohim, Yahweh is one. And yet that one, even within the vernacular and gr uh, grammar of its sentence, is that it's a compound one. We've looked at that in the same way you would say a dozen or a fist. It's a single unit. There is one God yet expressed in three distinct manifestations. The persons of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. One God, Elohim, three manifestations. Later in this chapter, in verse 7, we'll read in regards to God making man. It says, And the Lord formed the man out of dust of the ground, and he breathed into his nostril the breath of life. And man became a living being. What that word is, that, that living being, it's the word nefesh. It's the word soul. So it is this idea that, that God breathed into man and his soul became alive. That we see in this moment that God creating man, he, he, he formed man's body with his hands. 
that God intimately formed the body. And then he spoke, as we saw with the beasts of the, the ground and, and of the animals, that he spoke the soul into existence. And then in this moment, in this intimate moment, he breathed into man life, making him very much in his own image a triune being of body, soul, and spirit, a reflection of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Something else happened there in verse 27 that, again, we could pass over. We kind of talked about it last week. It says that God created man there in verse 27. And again, that is the word bara. Again, that God produced from himself something that never existed before. And in this moment, it says, as God breathed into man, that yes, he asad, you see that word formed in verse 7. He asad, he, he put together from, from the minerals the, the body of man. But that he borrowed man. Understand, you, you are not this outward spacesuit that you walk around in. You are a spirit that manifest has a soul to communicate, to, to interact with, to think, a consciousness, but you are a spiritual being, clothed in soul, embodied in this shell that we call our flesh. But that in this moment, just as God created this entire universe from his spoken word, and that God created the beasts of the ground with a soul, with a consciousness, with thought, emotion, and awareness, that in this moment we see something very unique as he borrows spirit into man, something that never existed in this universe before. I want to back up real quick and just look at again at that word nefesh, that man became a living soul. Now, the reason why I want to attack that, is not even attack it, but, but tackle it, is because we can bring in some baggage from really even just the, the Greek ideology, those who even translated into the Septuagint there. It, you can bring in soul with this baggage and this bad I, ideology from, from Greek philosophy that, that looked at the soul as kind of like a ghost in a machine, that your body houses the soul. But this is completely opposite and really foreign to what the biblical writers were writing because they refer to the soul as the whole person. Not as some ghost in the machine, but that the whole person was nefesh. The whole body, that, that your soul is, is you. Not, not just something that your body houses, but, but you are a soul. In fact, when you go throughout scripture and it will speak of a kidnapper, it actually uses the word nefesh. It's a nefesh stealer. When it uses the word murderer, it's actually saying a nefesh killer that they go so far as to say that, that, that nefesh is not just something that you house. No, it, it's you. And that the Israelites, many times actually, you'll see even at times where to, to illustrate that, they'll, they'll try and use body parts and they'll say things like the throat when they're wandering in the wilderness and they talk about a thirst and they'll say our, 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 our nefesh is, is dry. Psalm 42 verse 1 and 2 says, As the deer pants for the water brooks, so, my, so pants my soul, my nefesh for you, O God. My soul, nefesh, thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before him? So these Israelites would use like a throat to try and illustrate what, what, what is this thing we call the, the soul? How does it operate? But there's actually another illustration that they would go on to use. 
and that is the heart. See, the idea of, of the brain was not something that they, they thought of, of what house emotions and thoughts, but rather they, they talk about it in the way of a heart. Again, where your thoughts, your, your conscience, where, where, where these emotions come from, they speak of it being from the heart, and that's something that I would say would be more common to our, our, our language today. To feel something, you know, to feel it in your heart or, or to, to express something. You know, I just, I had this, I had this feeling or this emotion, this thought. But understand what the Bible also has to say about our nefesh, our heart. The heart is deceitful above all things, Jeremiah would say, and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And then God answers that question. He says, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind. But there is hope. There is hope for some who say, well, then if I'm wicked, I have this nefesh. What hope if I'm just made in this, this fashion, this wickedness, and that it's just a part of me? Again, taking into the idea of, of loving darkness as some, but we already know what Scripture has to say about those who would love that. Instead, being confronted with that, say, then what hope do I have? And so amazing that God in Ezekiel 36, 26 gives us this promise. He says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you the heart of flesh. See, in verse 27, when God borrowed man, he brought forth and produced that which had never existed, that new spirit, making Adam's soul truly alive. Interesting enough, I, I love it. Jeff, this morning in his message, Pastor Jeff uh, touched a little bit on, on soul and flesh himself, and he used an illustration. He kind of said, think of it this way. Think of the body as the hardware, the soul as the software. And he said, the soul is something completely different. And just kind of as my brain kept going, I go, we all carry around our phones. Oh, this makes sense to me. You go, this term, it's that you got your phone on you, and that's that hard outside of the things that you're holding tangible. That's the body. That's the hardware. Then you've got the software that you're operating, and so that's, that's like the soul. But the spirit, it's the power source. The spirit's the power source that, that makes that whole thing operational. But how many understand that if I am not properly plugged in, that thing, left to its own, will die. That it needs to be tapped into the true power. And God speaks going, you are stuck, unplugged. But he says that, that he is the vine and we're the branches. And that if we plug in, he says, I will give you that new spirit. I'll give you that everlasting power source. I will make that spirit alive that saves the soul. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, we, we read verses like this. It says, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of the soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow. It is a discerner of thoughts and intents of the heart. John chapter 5, verse 24 says, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my words, Jesus speaking, says, and believes in him who sent me, has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. And in James chapter 1, verse 21, James would say, Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Paul in Galatians would then come in. He says, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. 
He would confirm in Romans chapter 8, verse 1 and 2, that there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Again, to those who would say, oh, I have this, this deceitful, wicked heart, and it's darkness and I love, and go understand the foolishness of that is to take on yourself the guilt, condemnation, and God goes, I want so much more from you, for you. I am the divider of light and darkness, and I want you to be free from that. And he says, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit, that Spirit that he has promised to breathe into you, the very one that he breathed into Adam to make him a living soul. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Verse 28 says, Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and ev- over every living thing that moves on the earth. For those who like to take notes or highlight in your Bible, take 28 and just kind of make a mark next to that. You're going to see this theme of God's blessing go throughout Scripture. It's the same blessing that God will give to Adam and Eve, that he will then communicate again to Noah, that he will then pass on to Abraham, that he eventually passes on to the nation of Israel, and thus the Great Commission passed on to us, go and make disciples of every nation. So right here from verse 28, a promise of God, a blessing carried throughout the entirety of scripture also just a little side thing as you guys notice it says them we're only talking about man god creating adam and then he kind of throws in there that he's speaking to them so adam and eve are he's speaking to them and we're going to get to that later but just also fun little stuff right there verse 29 god says see i have given you every herb that yields seed which is on the face of the earth and every tree whose fruit yields seed to you it shall be for food also to every beast of the earth to every bird of the air to everything that creeps on the earth in which there is life. I have given every green herb for food, and it was so. Then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. So evening and morning were the sixth day. Now, I was going back and forth on whether to, to touch on this. I'm going to do it. It's kind of a, a take this with a, the context of what it is. So we've now made it to the end of the six literal days of creation. And if you followed through with me, you notice on every day, God was saying, it is good. It is good. Did anyone catch that there was one day that he didn't say that? Let's back up a little bit. So we base our seven-day week on the seven days of creation, the first day being Sunday, first day of the week. Okay, so second day is what? Monday. Want to take a shot at the one day God didn't say it was very good? So for anyone who hates Mondays, just know that you have some sort of biblical basis here of God saying, but there's a double blessing when it comes to, the, to Tuesday. But anyway, just have fun with that. I, I don't know what that means, but let's move on. So six days of creation. Now, an addressing, and, and I'm going touch on this because it, it needs to go there, to the counterpoint of those who would view a, a non-literal six days. I would say the most prevalent being that of evolution. And really looking at evolution, and, and, and I'm going to say this as, as, I guess, kindly as I can, evolution being the emperor's new clothes of scientific thinking. In the beginning, there was nothing, and it exploded. A rock went from being inorganic to organic. How, you might ask, don't ask that, it's the crystals or something. That... You just apply energy and order came out of in the same way that I could pull a hand grenade, throw it into your room. Do I think that your bed would get made and your clothes put on the hanger? 
No. Because it takes more than just energy to create order, that there has to be an intelligence in there. We could go again as we've looked at the privilege of our planet. Guys, understand just what, what the chances are of the thing running through your blood in its smallest component called hemoglobin. Do the math out and all of the likelihood for the amino acids to line up to create hemoglobin that if not in the right order, you die because your blood just falls apart. And even if you take in a billion world view, billion years, there is not enough seconds in the time to match up with the probability that hemoglobin forms correctly. But more than that, more than that, I, I want to look to really, again, the heart. I think we've addressed that enough. But looking at the heart of a man named Darwin who starts off a theory. And again, it's funny because a lot of people we were talking about want to take this, this, this step back as though there's this altruistic just, just presenting of information and not taking to the heart of those who are actually pushing a message. For instance... Darwin's theory on evolution, title, The Origin of Species by Means of Natural Selection. Right? You guys have heard that title. That's nice that people like to stop there and not finish the actual full title of the book, which said the origin of the species of means of natural selection and the preservation of favored races in the struggle for life. And it would go on to write a subsequent book called The Descent of Man. That Darwin himself would classify his own white Aryan race as superior than those of lower organisms. These are his words as referring to people such as pygmies and, and other people groups that he referred to as savage, low, or degraded. And if you want to see the fruit of the heart of the theory, and it might seem like an absurdity, you know who are guys who really like the teachings of Darwin? Hitler, and Mussolini. And I get it. I know for some, when you go to the Nazi route, they like to think it's an absurdity. But here's the truth. When you degrade human down to just basic animals, is it any shock that humans would treat each other like such? That people would, as God is saying, you were not just the outside form, that I intimately formed your body, but that is not who you are, that there is a spirit that I have given you and want to give you living inside of you. But instead, we decide to classify and grade people based on outward appearance. I find it ironic during a generation that wants to fight against that yet holds on to a very theology that undermines that entire notion. Anti-racism, anti-xenophobe, and yet you hold to a theology that classifies people and levels them and degrades them to such a way. Even more than that, on a very personal, as I go out to the skate park and I have different conversations, I've got a chance to go share faith, and I'm talking with one of these guys out there, I'm trying to share my faith with him. As I'm talking, he says these words. He says, well, we're just a, a process of evolution. We're just the result of, we're just a bunch of cells, meaningless put together. And I had to stop him and ask him, are you telling me that you feel meaningless? And he goes silent. The eventual fruit of following this, it is no wonder why we see the chaos that we have seen in the world today and the tragedies of the past because when you find yourself hopeless and meaningless because you're told you're nothing but a product of a bunch of random that is so inexplicably absurd, I am here to tell you 
that God so loved you that he gave his one and only son for you that whichever one of you would believe in him will not perish but have everlasting life. You are the lost coin. You are the pearl of great price. You have just immeasurable worth to your creator in God. Chapter 2, verse 1, as we continue, it says, Thus the heavens and the earth and all the host of them were finished. And all the seventh day God ended his work which he had done and rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because in it he rested from all his work which God had created and made. Now Isaiah chapter 40 verse 28 says, Have you not known, have you not heard, the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor grow weary? God didn't rest because he was tired. So why? Why did God stop? Well, what is the The work was complete. And he chose to set up a moment for humans to stop and just fellowship. God wanted to ingrain with this idea of just rest that God wants you to understand he has done all the work. Just stop and rest in him. No difference from when we read in John chapter 19, verse 30. Jesus hanging on the cross said when he had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. He finished the work in the garden and said, now it's time for you, just rest. Know that I've done all the work because I am coming and I want you to understand that there will come the time when I have finished all the work necessary to provide for you an everlasting spirit to just rest in him forever. You have a purpose God has planned for you, regardless of how you showed up on this planet. God planned for you. He has a purpose for you. He values you. And God desires to just be with you. And he made this entire universe so that you could know him. Mark chapter 2, verse 27. Jesus said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. He made this work and he would go on to say that therefore the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. He says, I am God come here. I am the one who has finished the work that you may rest in the finished and completed work of Jesus Christ on the cross. As we get ready to finish this morning, and we talked a little bit at last week, and, and, and I know that we even got to have some fun discussion on the six literal days. I'm going to go back into even more so why not only do I thoroughly believe that in the literary consistency it is six literal days not only again does it is it not refuted by science but just simply another view that could be brought in but more than that i believe that biblically we have a consistent message that is communicating to us on why it had to be six literal days and a seventh day of rest and this is why many times in the old testament you will see one literal day not a, a series of time, one literal day symbolize a year. And this is meaning to happen because it, it's saying that because of X amount of days, that is symbolic of X amount of years. Like this, for instance, in Numbers chapter 14, the spies were in the land for 40 days. They come out, they reject God's truth, and God tells them that for the 40 days that you're in the land, now you're going to be 40 years in the desert. You're going to also see this in Things like Ezekiel chapter 4 with this weird thing where God's telling Ezekiel to like build a model of Jerusalem and like lay on his side and then lay on his other side. And you're like, what's that all about? Well, Ezekiel chapter 4 verses 
5 through 6, God says, I have assigned you the same number of days as the years of their sin. So for 390 days, you will bear the sin of the people of Israel. After you have finished this, lie down again, this time on your right side, and bear the sin of the people of Judah. I have assigned you 40 days, a day for each year. So we see this consistent imagery where God is saying, it is not that there was a, an unknown amount of time, but he says a literal day is symbolic of a bigger symbol of time. That it meant a literal day, but that God says that literal day is symbolic and communicating a prophetic message down the line. And then you get to verses like 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8, which we looked at. We reference it says, But beloved, do not forget this one thing that the Lord, that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. He is speaking in a symbolic, not an unknown, not a, and he didn't say, Hey, a day, this unknown amount of time, is like this other giant group of time. He says, A literal day is symbolic of a thousand years. And we see a pattern within scripture of God using a literal day to be symbolic. And this is why, guys, actually I believe that the six literal days is almost more important than any other other stuff. I think, again, the literary device is there between the numbers, the morning, the evening. It's clear. Moses, when he wrote there, and by the way, it's interesting because no other time is the word day debated throughout scripture except in Genesis. Every other place we go, yep, it means day. Yep, it means day. Yep, it means day. But we get here and we start getting a little weird with it. But here's the interesting thing. If you take the one day, one literal day being symbolic of a thousand years, if you follow Bible genealogies and you follow all the other dates given in Scripture, what you will come to is that man has been on this planet for about 6,000 years. And what's interesting about that is by the time you get to Revelation chapter 20, we're told of something called the millennial reign, the thousand-year reign of Jesus Christ. Christ. A time when he says, I am going to. Remember as he said, pray that my kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. We talked about the fact that there was this overlap, Eden being that. And we as now this traveling tabernacle that God says, you are a temple. You are literally the intersect of God's dimension and human dimension. You are that for those who believe in Christ. And he's saying that during this thousand year reign, his kingdom come and he will make this earth rest. It will be at peace as he reigns for a thousand years. And when we understand that, then you begin to see why it's so imperative. Because when you also take 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8, and put it in the context, and I'm going to read for you, of what Peter was saying, now look at the days a thousand years. The fact that we've been on this planet almost 6,000 years, and he says there is a 7,000-year reign where the world will rest under his rule. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 3 through 13 says, Knowing this, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they will willfully forget that by the word of God, the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water, and the water by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water, but that the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Verse 8, But beloved, do not forget this one thing. In the context of connecting Genesis to Revelation, he says that with the Lord one day 
is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. And then one of my all-time favorite verses. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and with the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Looking for hastening the coming in the day of God because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, according to his promise, we look for the new heavens in the new earth in which righteousness dwells. And guys, when you put these things in its literary context and understand that there's an imagery that weaves itself again from a blessing to things like when we look at water, when we look at birds, there is, there's, there's a language that is woven all throughout Scripture with a, a consistency within it. And that Moses, unarguably, writing Genesis in the creation account, he meant a literal six days. And that Peter, contextually, as I just read from, speaking, connects the literal account of the beginning of this world in Genesis to the end of this world in Revelation. And in the midst of that says, one literal day is symbolic of a thousand years. Now, I'm just going to go out here and do this because I think this is so cool to me. Wouldn't it be so cool if a guy who we see that clearly meant six literal days was in any way attached to the idea of one and one thousand, wouldn't that be cool? Guys, I found this this week and I loved it. And Book of Psalms, written mostly by David. Psalm after Psalm, David and other musicians. In Psalm 90, verse 4, guys, do you know who wrote Psalm 90? Moses, of all the Psalms, Psalm writes, or Moses writes in Psalm 90, and in verse 4, Peter was quoting Moses in 2 Peter, because Moses says in chapter 90, verse 4 of Psalms, a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday, or in other words, a thousand years to you is as a day and connecting a thousand years to the one day. Not some amalgamous time, but a literal day being symbolic of a thousand years. And when you do the math, guys, I'm telling you, we're coming to that place of understanding that this world is getting ready to be let loose. And within that, what I want you guys to know this morning, above all things, you are not just this spacesuit called your body to be judged, to be thought lower of by anybody. Your soul, your heart, your flesh nature, it's true. It's wicked. It's deceitful. How many times follow your own heart? And how many times we do that and we find ourselves getting into such trouble? Well, God knows this and he gave you a promise just as he gave the first human that he is going to give you a spirit that by faith in his son, you will have a living soul. You are not meaningless. You were purchased by the life of God. He gave his life for you and he completed the work of redemption so that you could rest in him for all eternity. Guys, this world will pass away. But when the Lord lets go of it, he has promised to those who have placed their faith in him, he will never let go of you. 
Trust in God's word that you may receive his spirit and a new heart, a new soul, a finally, fully satisfied nefesh. And then you will know, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. Lord, I pray again, above all the things that we could get bogged down on, and God, against all the amazing consistency and reality of your truth, with this one truth not passed by anyone in this morning, that you love them, that you died for them, that you are offering them in eternity with you, but God, you're not going to force it on them. Lord, you call it as it is. You separate dark and light. You call the light good. You call the dark bad. And you tell us that you don't want us to carry the condemnation because you didn't send your son for that, but that we would be free. Our soul would be free by faith in you. So Lord, if there's anyone in this room who has not come to that place where they have rested in your final work of the cross, God, would they stop trying to base their life on anything that this outward flesh does? Would they not be deceived by, by just the flesh nature of the soul, but be renewed by the new spirit that you have promised? And you have promised for every one of us that you purchased on the cross and you proved by the empty tomb. In your son's name, amen. The Cover to Cover series is part of No Mere Mortal. The No Mere Mortal ethos derives from the biblically grounded and inspired work of C.S. Lewis in The Weight of Glory. You can find more No Mere Mortal content, including the Cover to Cover series, on our website at nomeremortal.org. Follow us on Twitter, Truth, Facebook, YouTube, Rumble, and most major podcasting services. Subscribe, follow, like, comment, leave a review, and share. The music you've heard has been provided by Sicko. That's C-I-K-K-0. And you can find him at YouTube at SickosBeatSuck797. My name is Bryce, and you are No Mere Mortal.